What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hi, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with one of my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times, awesome, fantabulous, has been to Orange Theory three times just today, co-host. Twice, twice, twice today. Twice today, co-host Mo DeKeel. We're going to be continuing our off-season report card train. That's going to continue to roll, but before we get started, the usual housekeeping notes – I want to remind, implore, beg, plead with everyone, please continue rating, reviewing, subscribing to us on iTunes. I know we have a ton of listeners out there who have not reviewed just based off the numbers. So please throw us a five-star rating, five stars only. You can leave feedback in the comments. We love reading those. Uh, And definitely subscribe if you have not already. If you have done all those things, word of mouth, steal people's phones, subscribe them to our podcast. They'll thank you later. Shout outs on Twitter to let us know that you're listening as well. We appreciate everyone who who does that. We are checking the mentions and liking those tweets. Keep them coming. We appreciate every single one of you. Follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter as well, at Hardwood Knox. And you definitely better be following Mo on Twitter, at Mo Dakil. That's at M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore M-B-A. Follow me if you want, if you dare, at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. And you can follow Andy at Andrew D. Bailey, spelled exactly as it sounds. Also, make sure you're following Blue Wire on Twitter, at Blue Wire Pods. As I've mentioned ad nauseum, I am one of the people who has control over that account, so you'll definitely want to be there, not just for my NBA takes, which can be bad, but my baseball takes and NFL takes, which, if you can believe it, are even worse most of the time. Last but certainly not least, all of this week's episodes are brought to you by ShipStation. They are awesome. We'll have a full ad read on them later, but we want to shout out ShipStation for bringing you this podcast today and every single podcast we release this week. With all of that stuff aside, we get to the question everyone's dying to know the answer to. Mo, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. I'm waiting on a phone call from the mechanic who might ruin everything. But until then, I'm doing great. The Bugatti's acting up again. Yeah, man. You know, it's hard. That's why you need two in L.A. especially. <laughs> A little bit can be a little bit difficult, you know. So it's 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 luckily because it is L.A. We have so many places where we can go to get the uh, the Bugatti fixed. Uh, Look, at know. least you're just not some peasant, as you said before, rolling in a Lambo. That would that would be embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, come on, guys. I can't believe you thought I rolled in a Lambo. Uh, oh man, I love how pretentious I come off in these. Um, I think it's so no. over the top. People hopefully realize that. Uh, you're absolutely kidding. I hope that podcast money. I want somebody, I want somebody to see me roll up in my car and be like, what happened to the Bugatti? And be like, nah, this is the loner. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, you know, listen, podcast money pays like eight figures a year. Everybody knows that. So you can't be driving just any, you can't, you're right. You can't be driving just any old Lambo. It needs like a custom Bugatti or something. Yeah. You know, um, 
it's fit just for me. It has a podcast station in the back. We'll deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully that explains some of your terrible takes because we now know you're podcasting while driving. First off, we know all my takes are pretty much amazing, right on, and fire. And uh, you've yet to have a good one. Firm but fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are going to do everyone's favorite division today, the Southeast Division, clearly the best division in the NBA, uh, hashtag sarcasm. I am going to throw an audible at you. We didn't really talk about it on this pod, but uh, the the piece today published by, I think it was Chris Maddox over at um, SI, where uh, Colangelo told him that Melo wanted to be a part of Team USA, and he was just basically nah. And we know that Melo went on first take recently. It seemed like he was sort of auditioning for NBA teams, but at the same time, it was a weird look to kind of throw front offices in Oklahoma City and Houston under the bus while doing so. I mean, you can run truck after truck over the Knicks, and, and that's probably a good way to build goodwill. But the other two teams, I'm not sure that was the best look. I'm just wondering what you make of this whole mellow situation. Do you think we'll see him play in the NBA again, or has he been out of it so long, the stigma's so strong, he's just not good enough that maybe he actually has played his last game at this level? I'm not sure. Like, I honestly can't. I don't think he'll start on a team training camp. I could see a team midseason bringing him along. You know, maybe he plays, maybe he won't. But I could see him kind of getting something like that you know after the the buyout market's exhausted sort of thing it is kind of sad and i know people have been killing him they've been killing jeremy lynn also who who had something similar where he he went on i don't know where he was what show he was or something but i mean he damn near cried and i'm not making him making fun of him for that like i think a lot of people that go off on that you got to understand something these guys have been playing forever and although they're old and NBA years, they're relatively young people, but it's a hard thing to change and, and, and come back from. And you want to allow these guys to play as long as they think they can physically play and help a team. And sometimes they think they can help a team when teams don't really need them. I mean, there's a lot of guys who sort of just fade and, and we don't ever really kind of hear back from them. And I think that's kind of what's going to happen to Jeremy Lin and, and Carmelo. It's sad and whatnot. And this is kind of the first time it's been such a high profile guy like Melo, but this is also just the natural progression and, and the way things kind of happen in sports is, you know, they, they, they pay you and play you until they don't need you. And as rough as that sounds, that's just kind of how it goes. And just so you know, that's how it works in every industry. You ever gotten fired? They, <laughs> it's just how it works. This is, this is the way it goes. And for these guys, it's their, first dose of reality of that and that's where it kind of hurts them the jeremy lynn stuff is weird to me because one he was pretty good for atlanta before he left there and two he doesn't have the cachet of mellow where he's gonna come in and it's a problem if he's not playing we kind of saw it with the toronto raptors i know he was dealing with back stuff but he wasn't a pivotal part of their rotation towards the end of the season or while they were working towards the championship and my stance on mellow is Let's say every team leaves one roster spot open just for flexibility. That's 420 players in the NBA. I feel confident in saying that there are not 420 players better than Carmelo Anthony. The problem is, is that Carmelo Anthony's not going to be in that top 100 territory. And because of his status, because he'll have expectations of his own, because it'll be a story if he doesn't play, you can't have him 
as that lower man in the pecking order. It just doesn't, maybe you can, I, I shouldn't say that, but it's just probably so hard for teams to buy into the trouble it will cause based on the return that he might give you on the court. And he's yet to show that he can adapt offensively when he's not touching the ball for three, four, five possessions at a time. He did things right in Oklahoma City and Houston for the most part. The types of shots he was taking, um, not dribbling as much. But when you're a guy like him, seems like he needs to be in the rhythm or at least touch the ball a bunch. When that's not guaranteed and you know he's not going to give you anything on the defensive end, you couple that with the blowback you'll get or just the attention you'll get. Should he play poorly? Should you not play him at all? Um, Should you play him and, and he hurt your team and people are wondering why you play him? All that attention... And it's a little bit unfair to him in that respect, even though I do think to some extent he's made his own bed here. Uh, That to me is more than anything why he's not in the NBA. It's not, he's not a great player now, but everyone who's saying that he just doesn't belong in the NBA, I I feel like it's just more complicated than that. And it's more a matter of the, the trouble he, or the attention he draws away from the game is just not worth what he's going to be able to do on the basketball court anymore. You can have Jeremy Lin as your, 10th or 11th or 12th guy or just be out of the rotation and it won't cause any waves. That's not an option with Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. And the, I think Chauncey Billups said it best. It was maybe on Sirius XM radio, but the thing for Mello was, you know, Mello was always so concerned about scoring 30 points a game and things like that. Like he, he never really kind of fit. He was willing to sort of, slow down like every time he gets on the court that's his attitude that's his mentality it's very different than a guy like Vince Carter who I mean let's talk about I mean he transitioned from like a super duper star whether he was that good or not it's a different story but transitioned from that into basically the the old man you know almost gosh almost like Uncle Vince on the Hawks, you know, I think it's like, you know, guy coming off the bench, he might not play every game and things like that, but he transitioned into that role very well and seamlessly. I think that's kind of the, the difference we're seeing, like, cause you know what, for as much everything you said, you know, Mello can still come in and, and, and come off the bench and give you 15 minutes and, and, and hit a couple of buckets, you know, if you're willing to kind of play that style and needed points off the bench and, you know, or, or a spark or something in your second unit, but it doesn't seem like he's willing to do that. And like you said, it's sort of like he's laid his own bed and that's just kind of the situation they're in. But that's enough. Probably mellow talk dominating the news cycle when he's not in the NBA. I think I'm in agreement with you. I'd be a little bit surprised unless there's an injury somewhere before then. I don't think he's going to begin training camp on a roster and his best shot just might be if there's an injury or a trade where a team, you know, ends up consolidating players and has a bunch of, open roster spots maybe they'll take a chance on him well let me ask you this question let's do we'll end our mellow thing with where do you want to see if you could put him somewhere where would you want to see him look nobody's gonna like this but when they lost marcus morris i said this bird should have just signed mellow instead of trey lyles the offense for them though is not the problem even though people kill their shot selection it's defense and he certainly doesn't help that i think having kind of a number another small ball four-ish guy would have been nice I understand Trey Lyles isn't going to help you defensively aside from the fact that I think you could probably get away with him at the five, which is something you definitely can't do with Carmelo Anthony. So beyond that, if I'm hoping to maybe see him play or have a chance of making an impact, perhaps Miami seems like the best destination for him. Do you have anyone that's better? I Portland. This is just, this is just off the cuff. I think Portland's a, 
an interesting spot. And this is just literally me throwing out it out there. So uh, if I get people mad, I get people mad. I'm not really going to care too much. I haven't put too much thought into it, but be kind of interesting to see him with the Celtics. Yeah, that's think, true. I think kind of almost like the way you said the Spurs replacing, using him to replace Marcus Morris. I can kind of see him doing that a little bit with the Celtics in that replacement. I mean, he's not going to help their defense. Like you said, he's not going to help their, their problem with the lack of bigs, but you know, a little scoring a little bit here. I could, you know, give him 10, 15 minutes again. I'm, I'm not advocating. He should play more than 15 minutes a game, but this is, you know, I could just kind of see that'd be an interesting spot for me. The problem is every team we named, including the ones I, they're not projected to have a great defense. And I think you need to have some more trust in your defense than the teams we just named. Um, for Mello to really work. Maybe because Boston has a bunch of switchable defenders on the perimeter, but Portland, certainly not. San Antonio, you have, I, I don't know, maybe you have White and Murray now. Maybe that's something you do. Plus Damari Carroll. I'm underselling that situation maybe a little bit. I wouldn't mind seeing him on the Warriors. I'm not going to lie. I like That's the almost like last chance haven. That's the culture, even without Kevin Durant and with Klay Thompson injured. It just seems like, it just seems like it'd be interesting to kind of see. Maybe those lineups where Draymond Green is at the five with Melo at the four. I don't know how much he'd actually play once Clay Thompson comes back. There's that to consider. You have guys who like to handle the ball and Steph and D'Angelo Russell, but both of them can play off the ball. And it seems like Golden State is used to navigating, uh, I'll say, complicated pecking orders over the past three years when you look at how much talent they had. And Melo certainly isn't on the same level as a Kevin Durant or, or Clay Thompson at this point. That would be a team I, I wouldn't mind kind of seeing rolling the dice on him. Yeah, it'd be fun. I mean, it's again, this is for everybody who's going to like, I can't believe you said, this is a very low risk situation. This is a guy that you sign at the minimum and wave if you're not happy with him. So uh, this is kind of the, the situation. So, yeah, I think it'd be fun. It'd be interesting to see where he ends up, see if he ends up somewhere and how that plays out. Here's my actual last final question on this. Is there a team, either a rebuilding team or at least a non-guaranteed playoff squad that you think could talk themselves into rolling the dice on that level? Because we all named either bona fide playoff teams or they're, they're going to be contenders. Is there a team, it seems like he just wants to play at this point from what he said on first take. Or do you think that that situation, regardless of what he says on first take, is basically untenable and he needs to be on a team that's going to be competing for something? I think he'd prefer it, but if we got the pick, it's going to be a team that we'll get to in our divisions when we when we get going. And I'll name them. I'll call them out when we get there. What a segue! We're starting with in the southeast, by the way, uh, Atlanta Haw- the Atlanta Hawks, twenty nine and fifty three. Uh, Carmelo Anthony's former team, technically. <laughs> uh, they're notable additions: Alan Crabb, uh, Bruno Fernando, Cam Reddish, Chandler Parsons, Damian Jones, DeAndre Hunter, Evan Turner, Jabari Parker, Ray Spalding. Notable exits include Dwayne Dedman, Deontay Davis, Jalen Adams, Justin Anderson, Kemp Bazemore, Miles Plumley, Omari Spellman, Torian Prince, um, and notable resignings include Vince Mother Effing Carter coming back for the final go around. I thought it was cool how much the kids wanted him back. They all asked him at the end of the season, and he and they were like, "Yeah, bring bring Vince back. It's cool to see him in Atlanta." Even though it would have been also equally cool if not more interesting to kind of see him in toronto another mellow team by the way they did sign all the wings that can't shoot maybe get one that might have a chance of being able to shoot i don't know if i'm going too far off the rails with that one 
for the every team, every team can't be a mellow team. Yeah, dude. we we just named half the NBA, and mellow can't. Mellow doesn't have a home, but we just named half the NBA. Uh, should consider signing him. My grade for the Hawks this offseason, I gave them a B. What did you give them, Mo? I gave them a, a B. I think you, you touched on the one point that I was going to hit, which was like, man, you're not really going to have a lot of shooters. Uh, you, I guess you better hope that the kid, uh, uh, Horter, Herter, how do you say the dude's name? Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter. I don't know why I said it with some accent. Uh, you know, I don't know if they're putting too much pressure on him. I remember when they drafted him and young, they're like, Oh, this is going to be like the splash brothers 2.0. And I'm like, well, we'll see. Um, but overall, I just like where this team is going. What Travis Schlink has built overall. I think they, I like John Collins. I think that's a fun bouncy big for them. I think it's a good vibe overall. I just think they're in, they're in a good place as an organization. Uh, I don't know how much they'll win because of that, but they're they're trending up slowly, and that's a that's a positive thing. They need to hit on DeAndre Hunter this team because they gave up in a draft that was only supposed to be a three player draft to get the number four pick. They gave up quite a lot. It, it amounted to Jackson Hayes, Nikhil Alexander Walker, uh, Marco Silva, cap space, and probably two second round picks from the Cavaliers that they're going to end up giving up. Um, because they took on that Solomon Hill deal, which they ended up then sending to Memphis. That's a pretty big risk. But I also respect if Schlank and crew, if that was their guy, they went out and got him. And I think you have to do that when you're sort of at crucial points of, of your development. And Kevin Herter last year, uh, I talked with Jeff Siegel of, of Early Bird Rights on the podcast about them. I, from what I saw of the Hawks, I would, did, had no idea he could do so many things off the dribble in addition to shooting. Um, they might be able to get some more. They're going to have to, I guess, when you look at the roster. They don't really – Evan Turner's their backup point guard, so you're probably going to see Herter and, and even Reddish maybe handle a bunch of pick-and-roll duty. Uh, that'll be interesting to see. We'll see how it works out in terms of their efficiency. Uh, the, the team is just interesting, sort of how you said it, and their flexibility moving forward with all their key pieces on these rookie deals and the cap space that they could have over the next – two summers. John Collins is the only one that they really have to pay over that time. And unless they sign him to an extension, his cap hold in 2021 is going to be absolutely nothing. I do. A, a B was tough for me because I, I gave them a B because I like the risk that they took and the overall roster. When you look at the young talent they've assembled and I have a soft spot for Cam Reddish, I think he's going to end up being better in the NBA than people realize just because the role he played at Duke while he was inefficient, it seems like it might make him more easily adaptable to what he's facing in the league, at least right out from the jump. Still, when you look at their center rotation, now it seems like they're going to rely on, I know Alex Lynn can shoot threes now, but it seems like you're going to rely on John Collins for a ton of minutes at the five, unless you're a big Fernando or or Jones uh, supporter. The Jabari Parker deal, why did he need a player option? There are a lot of things. I could have gone lower, like a C plus or something, but I I like the mentality where they're, they're, they really stayed intriguing and tantalizing without compromising their their flexibility. My strongest take, though, is that, boy, are they going to miss Dwayne Dedman. They will, for sure. And I think the more important thing that I look at is they didn't add guys that would hurt the development of their young guys. And that's something I think we overlook sometimes. The way the Nets got DeAndre Jordan, it's going to hurt Jared Allen to a degree because he's not going to get as many minutes. 
it's that kind of stuff where I look at with the front office going like, well, what are you doing? You're supposed to be investing in your young guy and you're, you're going to be giving away minutes now to a guy that's not really as important to you. So I think that's something that's kind of positive for me with them. And that's why I was, I, I feel very comfortable with what they've done. They're going to be, if you're, if you're picking five league pass teams to watch, I mean, we know how that racket goes where you're not trying to pick teams that are going to be on national TV a bunch. Are the Hawks a top five league pass team for you? I don't know if they're going to be a top five. I guess so, just because I feel like so, watching the way the NBA is pushing the Pelicans, they're going to be on national TV a bunch, I feel. Uh, and yeah, we'll, they're, and they're we'll, on my league pass list too, but I keep talking myself into after Zion got a Christmas Day game as a rookie, I'm like, I need to rethink my league pass list. <laughs> well, I mean, he got that and opening night. so That's right. Yeah that's going to be something where it's like, all right, we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to be in the top five. I, there are a lot of teams I find interesting. So, uh, and I'm a junkie, so I'll watch it. I'll watch a bunch of games anyways. You are that a basketball junkie. Are you a basketball junkie enough to suffer through watching the Washington wizards this season? Maybe that's too harsh. Bradley Beal, if he's, if he's still there, I believe he still will be a really good player. Notable additions for the Wizards include Admiral Schofield, C.J. Miles, Davis Bertans, uh, Garris Matthews, Isaac Bonga, Isaiah Thomas, Ish Smith, Jamario Jones, Jordan McRae, uh, Mo Wagner, Rui Hachimura, and Tariq Phillip. Notable exits include Bobby Portis, Jason Randall, Devin Robinson, Dwight Howard, Jabari Parker, Jeff Green, Jonathan Simmons, Sam Decker, Thomas Sadoransky, and Trevor Ariza. Notable re-signings include Thomas Bryant. I gave them a B minus for the offseason. What did you give them, Mo? Oh, we disagree a lot. I gave them a D. Ooh, I'm here for it. And it all comes down to one thing. How long are they going to hold on to Bradley Beal and let the market? I mean, right now is the time to sell, to, to, to move Bradley Beal. Like, this is the opportunity where you can get the most for him. And you're just going to hold on to him with the hope that this is going to be a better team next year like listen i don't watch a ton of ba- college basketball so i don't i thought you were know. about to say i don't watch a ton of basketball i really was about to say that and i was like oh wait a minute i mean i don't watch a ton of college basketball and when i mean i don't watch a ton of basketball i watch hardly any because i just can't stand it and that's a story for another time so i don't know much about ruri hachimura besides you know what i've seen he looks great nice and all but it doesn't look like amazing in in that regard and you know, Admiral Schofield just has a great name, but that's about the only thing I care about with the Wizards. You know, it's like, when are you going to move Bradley Beal? Because that's the thing. And the, everything we hear is like, they're not interested in moving him. And just I, the way I look at it, it's like, you're missing an opportunity to get a ton of assets. You're going to be bad. Odds are John Wall's not playing this season. You're you're missing opportunities here to just collect a ton of assets. We saw what uh, Anthony Davis got the, the Pelicans. We saw what Paul George got the thunder, you know, like there's opportunities now for, for Beal. And this is the guy everybody's kind of keeping an eye on. You put him on the block. Even if you do it quietly, you're going to get a ton of offers and it just seems really short-sighted, silly, and stupid to not look at an opportunity to really build your team in the long run. Cause the way I'm just going to look at it is, you blew it. I don't think you're going to have any success now with the Wall and Beal tandem. It, it's it's over. Your opportunities is done. And you've locked yourself into a crazy contract with Wall. 
you're going to have to pay Beal a crazy extension, so you're not really going to be able to add pieces. Don't really feel like you're a free agent destination. So I think your best chance right now is moving Beal, and the time to do it was this offseason, and I think they've just blown it. I think I'm going to disagree with you there. Maybe that's why my grade was just a little bit or a lot more rosier than yours for them. I don't think you need to move Bradley Beal now. Uh, the he's not going to sign the the three year one hundred eleven million dollar extension. So we could get that out of the way. And I think people have used that as sort of the impetus uh, for why they should move him. I'm just not there. He has two years left on his deal. He only turned twenty six at the end of June. I get the price points with him and John Wall get a little iffy if Beal makes an All NBA team next year, which I go back and forth on whether it's more likely should if Wall doesn't play because then Beal is just the unquestioned guy or if it's a little less likely because the Wizards won't be good enough to garner him that type of attention. Either way, he will he would qualify for a five-year, $253.8 million Supermax. They don't have to offer it, obviously, but shit kind of hits the fan if you don't or you're not willing to offer some version of it. And I get not wanting to pay 80 to $90 million a year for John Wall and Bradley Beal for, it'll be about two seasons once uh, Bradley, after Bradley Beal's a free agent. And even if he doesn't qualify for the Supermax. When he does hit free agency, he's going to be eligible for uh, a five-year, what is it, $217.5 million deal, which is, it's huge money. So I, I get that, I, I get why you would move him now, but I'm looking at the trade landscape. Which team is forking over the moon for Bradley Beal right now? I, is Boston going to offer you a bunch? And, and how valuable are their assets now? It's some unproven rookies, Jalen Brown's extension eligible. They're probably not moving Jason Tatum for for Bradley Beal. I'm just failing to see the team that's going to go all in on him. And maybe if you let it develop um, closer to the trade deadline and teams are better than expected, what if the Pelicans are contending for a playoff spot right away? They're looking to uh, up their timeline. What if it's the same thing with the Thunder for some reason and they all of a sudden want to keep Chris Paul or just something along those lines? Those aren't perfect examples, but I'm saying I think it's more likely his market develops closer to the trade deadline than it would right now, just because of the amount of assets that were shifted from the most likely blockbuster trade candidates over this summer. Yeah. So like, I'm not saying that Beal won't have a market at the trade deadline. There's teams are going to be interested, but the price goes down. There's a big difference between having the guy in day one at training camp, having two years on his deal versus having him for a year and change. I think teams like Denver could be really interesting, and that's something you, I would have looked at if I was them. And, you know, he's not on the market, so it's something they didn't have to worry about. But, you know, if you're New Orleans, like you had mentioned, like, you know, if you're con- contending for a playoff spot, you know, even if you're not, wouldn't you just be willing to trade Ingram now for Beal, like if that was available? So I don't think I – don't, I, I don't necessarily buy – that whole scenario of like, there's, I think they're going to get less if they wait till the trade deadline. I think the opportunity to get the most right now is when he has two years on his deal where you teams bring him in, got a whole training camp can bring him in the fold and get everything going, get their system in together and get rolling. You know, it's hard when you trade for a guy at the trade deadline who, if it's Beal, he's going to be a massive piece. It's not Marcus all who just kind of plays a role. Beal's coming in and you're bringing him in to be a huge piece for you. And it's hard to bring that in 
you know, trade deadline and just assume it'll work. It doesn't happen that way very often. I think having him for a training camp makes a big difference. And I just think where they're going, like they're doing the exact opposite as the Hawks, you know, they're, they're trying to stay relevant. They're trying to stay good, but at the same time, they're just taking a nosedive down. I mean, they weren't good last year and they brought back a worse team. So I don't feel like They've they've done anything that's really improved them. That's the way I look at it. I think their best opportunity to make a big improvement is trading Beal because nobody's taking Wall. And the idea also of attaching Wall to any Beal trade, I mean, get the hell out of here with that stuff. Like that's just a that's a amateur front office. I mean, like that's a hang up. Don't ever call me back front office. Yeah, it's like almost using KP to get off Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee, right? Easy, Tiger. Not nearly as bad. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I don't even know what what team is doing that. Is it Miami is just the one that everyone goes to because they have the easy salary matching pieces? But Wall is making $38.2 million next year when he's not going to play probably, and he's owed $171.1 million over the next four years in total. Yeah. That scenario has always been kind of like, I, I don't know why you do that. What is confusing, and so you – you made a really good point about the the training camp stuff and how when you get these midseason acquisitions, you know, even when you have them for the first year, they very rarely work out the way they did with Kawhi Leonard. And so it, it takes more than a season normally for those types of additions to reach their peak with their new team. What is what is then the logic behind keeping Beal? Because you can't say the Wizards are looking to compete now because they didn't match the Thomas Sadaransky contract, which I think was three years and and $30 million. And that's, if you wanted to compete, he's a player you absolutely needed. And I thought it was a reasonable enough deal. You know, to me, he's worth more than uh, what you're paying Isaiah Thomas and Ish Smith combined, which is about 8 million bucks next year. That's, you know, he's, he's worth more than that. And so he's getting a little bit more than that. I, I'm, I'm having a tough read on what is their plan then that they actually think they're going to be able to rebuild around Bradley, uh, Bradley Beal and John Wall. Do you think this is an ownership thing? Do you think this is a, uh, Tommy Shepard's plan and that this is what he wants to do are they in just sort of some weird limbo because Tommy Shepard wasn't they they didn't remove his interim label until recently within the past few weeks but by not trading Beal I I do feel like they're sort of in flux and I'm wondering if you had to guess what you think their mindset is right now then I almost think they're looking at it in the sense of we ticket sales Like, honestly, I just kind of think like we just don't want to be so bad that we don't sell seats and people don't come to the games. But here's the thing. The Bradley Beal, John Wall tandem and duo is done. Like it's never going to reach what we thought they reached. They've peaked. It's over. You got to recognize that those days are gone and it's time to move on because there's not there's nothing there. There's nothing there. They haven't had a ton of success. Wall's injury. I mean, first it started out with Beal's injuries for a while. Walt now Wall's injury. It's just like, you know what? It doesn't always work out that way. And it doesn't have to be an adversarial thing, a negative thing, or anything like that. But it's just you got to recognize the fact that, like, hey, we blew it. We had a chance to build around these guys when we did. We didn't get it done. And now we have to make some decisions here. And it's tough and it's never easy. But it's time to let it go and just you know, you're, you're not a free agent destination. You're not going to bring in guys who are going to come running in there. And if you're not trying to bottom out, you know, your only other option is to make this trade, you know, or, or put him on the market and see what you can give for him. And I just don't think 
they're taking it serious. I think it's more they they're living on Delusion Island, thinking that they're going to find a way to be competitive. When I don't even think they're competitive in a terrible Eastern Conference. You it's, know, I don't I don't have them as possibly making the playoffs. No, nor do I. It's it's tough. I think when you look at their roster, you would have to argue breakout years from Davis Breton. CJ Miles has to stay healthy. You you need to have uh, you need Hachimura and Schofield to play right away, basically. Their their direction to me is really puzzling, and I already said I don't want to make this just about Bradley Beal for them. I was I thought that if they were going to go this route and keep Bradley Beal, that Thomas Adaranski's was a deal they should have matched. You also let Bobby Portis walk on a on a two year deal, maybe a little bit weird. The Thomas Bryant price point is bizarre. I know he had a good year for them last season, but I want to know what his market is that you needed to give him three years and and twenty five million dollars just in a summer where bigs were not given these monster contracts uh, that that was a little bit perplexing to me as well. They're, te- they're just a team that's tough to get a direction on. Uh, that being said, I'm the proponent of holding on to Bradley Beal for a little bit, because I think unlike you, this trade value will go up. And then from what I've seen of Rui Hachimura, and that was just summer league, he has much better feel for the game in the half court to me uh, than I think was advertised when he was coming into the draft. And so they took uh dare to be great pick. I think, and there's there's a part of me that respects that, and I really am interested to see uh, what they're going to do with Schofield. I think he's someone who might be able to to play for them right away, and so I didn't hate their offseason all around. The move I hate the most actually is letting Sadaransky walk. Yeah, and I don't I don't mind the the draft pick of Rui Hachimura. You know, everybody went nuts, and oh, some guys have him in the second round and all that stuff. You know, they're swinging for the fences and they're betting on their development staff to help improve him. But, you know, I think that's a risky bet in their regards, just from their history. But we'll see, you know, it's, it's one of those things. He's, he's not going to ha- come in right away and, and be a world beater. So I, you know, everything has to go right for them to make the playoffs and other teams have to have several things go drastically wrong for them to miss. I just don't have a minute. And that's why, that's why they get a D. I mean, they're close to an F actually in my mind. Whoa. I don't hand out S lightly. That just seems a little bit, that's like just an I mean, awful offseason on every single level where they didn't even make a single good move. What's the good move? Isaiah Thomas redemption tour. <laughs> okay, so let me ask again. What's the good move? <laughs> I, again, I like the Hachimura pick, and I was a proponent of seeing if maybe Bradley Beal's trade market developed into the middle of the season. You've, I think you have adequately picked apart that point. It's just still something that I believe with it. He's so young. And just to get a player, I don't know. I'm trying to look at the trademark. And aside from Denver, who I think right now could make a very good offer, I'm just I'm struggling to see a team that would come with a package that would wow you. And even with Denver, you're not going to get Jamal Murray in that deal, nor do you want him, not just on that extension, but because you also have John Wall. And so th- their package is enticing, but what is, you know, what is Gary Harris and Michael Porter Jr. and maybe future picks. Monte Morris could be in there. They have a lot of good stuff, but it doesn't seem like they have a ton of great stuff. And if you have a 26-year-old all-star with two years left on his deal, you have to want more than I think what even Denver's best package is going to look like. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. 
No matter where you're selling, be it Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Hardwood Knox listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customers. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. B-L-U-E. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. On the Bradley Beal stuff, though, I think what you can say about the Wizards is that they sort of didn't screw up their future at a time when it's unclear, or at least to them going into the offseason, if they didn't know that Tommy Shepard was going to be the guy, you weren't really sure what you were going to do. And so the fact that beyond that John Wall contract that they are lean sort of moving forward, I think that's kind of a win. It's the smallest of wins. And again, I'm, I'm someone who wasn't crazy about the Thomas Bryant contract, but you don't really have any guaranteed money on the books right now aside from Wall after the next two seasons. And so I think that helped a little bit. I think all of your just points on them were salient, and they're probably two different ways to just view this offseason. I think for a team, though, that was clearly in flux and was trying to straddle a non-existent line, it felt like that their offseason, in in a sense of how conservative it was, it, it sort of suited them. Yeah, no, I just think they suck, and I don't think they're going to be that much better. And I, I, I'm very bleak on them. So uh, I think just depending on how you look at it, that's why I've uh, given them the D and am teetering towards maybe giving them an F. John Wall doesn't play this year, right? No. I don't see a reason for it. And you know what? It works actually in the favor of Leonsis money-wise because I believe the insurance pays like 80% of the uh, – contract you know this season if he doesn't play so um there there's something like that so it doesn't do anything cap wise but it saves leonsis some money so uh there's that so i I, but i just don't think wall plays is it and i think i brought this up before when we first started if wall doesn't play and let's say they keep bradley beal does that make it more likely or less likely that he can get to that all nba level because it's sort of the there's the Kemba Walker case since he got in this past year on a team that was bad because he did everything. But then there's also the Bradley Beal case from this past year where the Wizards probably weren't good enough to get him the shine that he deserved for averaging 25, 5, and 5. Yeah, it's it's really a difficult situation. I think it helps him that Wall doesn't play because of the – the numbers he can put up and more opportunities and everybody will be like, wow, look what he's doing. And that's without wall. I think that helps him. But I think you're also right in the sense of like, well, without wall too, there's not as much shine, but if Kemba Walker can make the all NBA team and get that big, uh, contract, uh, get that chance at a super duper contract. Uh, I think Beal will get there as well. Speaking of Kemba Walker, we are not about to talk about his former team. They are coming up, however. First, it's to the Miami Heat. 
They were 39 and 43 last year. Uh, their notable additions this offseason include Jimmy Butler, Kendrick Nunn, Kyle Alexander, Casey Akpala, Myers Leonard, and Tyler Hero. Notable exits Dwayne Wade, retired. Uh, Hassan Whiteside, Josh Richardson, Ryan Anderson, whom they waived. Notable re-signings, just fresh, freshly inked. Yodonis Haslam coming back for year 17 with the Heat. Absolutely bonkers that he stayed with one team that long and that he's been in the NBA as long. Good to have those locker room guys, though. I This was one of the toughest teams to grade for me in overall, uh, just in the NBA. I ended up giving them a B, and I feel sub-zero confidence in that. What did you end up giving them? I think we're on the same page. I gave him a B, and I think the big reason why is, you know, they finally got a guy in Jimmy Butler. And look, you we can talk about all these things of like he's getting older or whatnot. He's a guy that could potentially bring in the next star. Like that's the way I would look at look at it for them. Before having Butler, they just had a collection of guys that were just kind of like, eh. Nobody really blew you away. Like you didn't get excited for anybody, right? You just kind of looked at it going like, oh, well, you know, that guy's like, oh, he's nice. Oh, he's pretty good. Yeah, no, he's not bad. And then that Hassan Whiteside where you're like, oh, God, terrible. Um, so you have that but level, but like with Butler in the fold now, now you kind of get some a little bit excitement of like, okay, now they have a guy that might bring in somebody else. And they were in the running. Everybody thought Westbrook was going to end up there. I certainly did. They just couldn't make it work. They're hard capped. I think the smartest thing for them is really kind of just let the year play out. I mean, don't even make a run at Chris Paul, which was rumored for a while. Just let it all play out this season and see what becomes available to you. And I think they really should be one of those teams eyeing 2021 to reel in a big fish. And when all these contracts finally start to come off the books. And I'm going to tell you something else. Like I said, I don't watch a ton of college basketball, if any, really. But catching a little bit of Tyler Hero in uh, Summer League, and I was like, damn, I like him. He's pretty damn good. With him, he when he was done with school, he said, I, I didn't get to show my full spate of skills, and I can run, pick, and roll, and, and shoot more off the dribble. And I was just like, everyone's going to say that. And then in, in Summer League, he, he just showed a lot of that. And so to have someone who can be an off-ball threat – by, by just not even just spacing the floor, but really just moving. And then if, if he can handle the ball and run some plays in the half court, that's huge for them because they're still not, unless you're banking on a Goran Dragic, a, a renaissance, they're still not crazy deep with playmakers. I, I know Justice Winslow starting at point guard last year, maybe the same thing or at least a similar role this upcoming season, but they could use someone like that badly. I don't know how to view their offseason. In a vacuum, it's it's impressive because you start with not only negative cap space, but in the luxury tax. And then you get Jimmy Butler, who, not last year, because he split his time in Minnesota and Philly, where his role was diluted uh, uh, quite a bit, I would say, during the regular season. But the year before that, he was a consensus top 12 player, right? That's not overstating it? Yeah. No, I mean, just look at what Minnesota was when he was healthy. I mean, they were, like, vying for a third seed. Then he went down and they tumbled and just barely made the playoffs when he came back. So it and for Philly in that respect, he was their closer. He was huge for them in the playoffs. Like the, him leaving had led to my biggest question for Philly, which was who closes games for them? Who's their go-to guy? Well, Miami has a go-to guy now in Jimmy Butler, and I think that's the big get that they get from him. So I think 
you're right on in like, you know, two years ago, he was a top 12 guy. And really, he was pretty, he was really damn good last season. He, he gets a little taint for, for kind of blowing up the Minnesota practice and sort of that team. His tour de force. Yeah, you know, kind of setting a flame to that. But uh, besides that, like, you know, he's, he was still really good for Philly. And so if you're going to give up what, what amounted to for them, Josh Richardson, um, a 2023 first rounder lottery protected, uh, Hassan Whiteside, and then $5.2 million of, of cap space per year for the next three seasons. If you're giving up all that and you're getting a top 10 or 12 player, you've won the offseason. And again, you were they were starting with negative cap space. My my problem, though, and I, I already wondered about their playmaking, I just I look at this roster and I wonder whether they're going to be much better than they were last year. And to go through all these hoops to maybe get to a point where you're you just flip your record to 43 and 39 or something like that sort of seems like it would be a loss. They still feel from afar like they're one massive piece short of being something special. It maybe that player is Tyler Hero, but will he show out in his rookie year? I think they're more than this is more than can Goran Dragic stay healthy and, and shoot better. This is more than can Bam Adebayo really shine without Hassan Whiteside and, and inside an expanded role. It just feels like they're this demonstrative asset short of making any real noise, and they acted like a team this summer that was much closer than that in the way that they went after and inevitably secured Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I don't think they're that much better. I don't think they're making a major leap. I think they're struggling. They're in the fight for the last two or three playoff spots in the East. But I think the way I would view this whole thing with Butler is if he brings in a big fish somewhere in the next two years where somebody says, yo, I want to play with Jimmy, that matters and that helps them. You know, we can't go – it doesn't go unnoticed that Kawhi Leonard – looked at a while for pairing with Jimmy Butler. Like there's whether you like him or not, NBA guys, these big stars do like him and they want to play with him and they enjoy being around him. And that says something. So, you know, he, he might reel in another big fish. So, you know, I think that's kind of the sort of the prize you get for Jimmy. I don't think he really helps the team that much this year. And I don't think the team's in a great situation. You know, I think that had to do more with the summer when the the cap spike came in and they signed all these dudes to crazy contracts. I, I guess the one doubt would be how much of a draw is, you know, Jimmy Butler entering his, I think his age 32 season in two years because next year is his age 30 season. That's something to consider, but still under contract for two years after that maybe. And, and again, Miami always seems to pull or bag a star in free agency when it has the means to do so. It was almost surprising that one summer that Gordon Hayward didn't sign with them, but it wasn't really surprising because everyone had him build for Boston because of the Brad Steven connection. So if you're going to, if that's your plan to sort of do a little bit better than tread water these next two years and you have a franchise star in the meantime, and again, maybe you hit on Tyler Hero, maybe Ben Adebayo is much better than we expect. Maybe Justice Winslow just has another kick um, in him. They they could be an interesting team, but right now I, I just don't see it, and it was it was just so tough for me to interpret their off season. Yeah, no, I, it was a win for them, and I think you can never count out Pat Riley. I think he's always up to something, and he he's kind of at that point where it looks like he just wants to set the team up so he can retire. 
<laughs> you know, he wants to feel like they have that good future. I mean, he's getting up there in age, man. He's still got a house in Malibu. I know he probably wants to get to. And, uh, yo, Riles, if you want to have somebody kind of house it, I'm not too far. Just let me know the uh, thing. But I think he's ready to kind of let it go and, and move on. And I, but he wants to leave this team in a good spot. And that's his goal, and I think that's where they're heading in that right direction. Again, for me, a lot of times when I look at the off seasons, it's like, where are these guys heading? Are they trending up? Are they trending down? Doesn't matter at the rate they're going, but at least are they moving in a direction, you know, positive or negative? And you know, they're they're trending up a bit. That brings us to the Charlotte Hornets, your favorite team in this division. Notable additions for them: I have Cody Martin, Jalen McDaniels, PJ Washington. Robert Franks and Terry Rozier, notable exits, Frank Kaminsky, Jeremy Lamb, Kemba Walker, Shelvin Mack, Tony Parker. I do not have them for any notable re-signings. I gave them, and I do not dole this out lightly, a big fat F. What did you give them? I don't even know if I can go lower than an F. I'd like to. I'd like to give them a Z. Like, I mean... Is an F- minus a thing, or is that great? Because I don't think you ever see D-minuses, right? Or F-minuses? I don't know if they are, but like I'm willing to go F minus 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 minus. Like they couldn't have botched this more. And this is the answer to the question you had asked earlier of what non-playoff team should just take a shot at Mello and see if he'd want to play there. It's Charlotte. They don't have anything going for them. They might as well just try to bring Mello in, who's a Jordan guy, a uh, jump man guy, have him come in and see if he can at least put on a show and help put butts in the seats. Uh, I feel bad for my guy, James Borrego, who's coaching there. The uh, team is just terribly set up. And the you know what? I don't care that they got Terry Rozier. I'm not a huge fan. I don't like it what the number they're paying him at. And more importantly, and this goes back to the February trade deadline, if you knew you weren't going to offer Kemba Walker the full max or the super-duper max if he qualified for it, you should have been looking to trade him at the deadline to get assets. And the fact that you didn't just says everything I need to know about the front office, which basically means they are so far out of touch, they have no idea what they're doing. And, you know, I know they did a sign and trade and got Terry Rozier out of it, but that's nothing for the stuff they probably could have gotten for Kemba Walker at the trade deadline. You know, somebody would have jumped at him, given him a ton of assets for him, maybe a young player, maybe some cap relief. But the fact that they just sort of let him walk, they let Lamb walk, it was a joke. And this whole thing's terrible. And the idea that they kept him on because the All-Star game was in Charlotte and they wanted to have a Charlotte representative, that's just even more pathetic because then it just means you care more about the optics than actually trying to win games, which is what you should be in for. And it shows, really does show, that Michael Jordan is not a good owner. Like, this is terrible. He's proven it time and time again, and they've screwed everything up. I mean, we can look all the way back from drafting Frank Kam- Frank Kamensky, you know, over guys, you know, dra- uh, passing up on the uh, Celtics giving them every possible asset they had a while back so that they could draft Justice Winslow, and instead they chose to draft Kaminsky. Like, that's just all bad stuff. Like, I just – there's nothing about that team that's impressive – I feel very bad for the fans in Charlotte. I I mean, I don't know. I think they win 15, maybe 20 games this year. And I just think the everything, that their whole offseason was screwed up. 
at the February trade deadline when they they weren't honest with themselves about whether they'd pay Kemba Walker or not, and they blew an opportunity. Their offseason was fuck shit. That's the only way to categorize it for me. I, the arguments, I, I, don't, I can't build on top of what you said, and I don't want to repeat it, but the arguments where uh, there have been pieces written and talking heads have discussed it about everyone exists in this world, uh, whether it's analysts or fandom, where they're constantly looking at the future and saying teams have to move on from guys in the final years of their deal or in the final two years of their deal. I think there's a real argument there about how much fans are focused on the future as opposed to what's happening in the present, but they weren't competing for anything. And if you weren't even going to consider giving him the full regular max, let alone the super max, you needed to shop him. This is this doesn't have to do with, oh, Kemba Walker is a flight risk. This wasn't an Anthony Davis situation. Kemba Walker, time and again, said he wanted to stay. And so your job, if you weren't going to pay him, and Stephen A. Smith had the number at five years in the $160 million-ish area, which I don't know how accurate that is, but if so, it's $30 million roughly short of what they could have offered him. I'm not saying that number is entirely accurate, but it's clear that they weren't willing to give him the full max why keep him and you can't it's it's not this super max stuff didn't sneak up on you his price point didn't sneak up on you the market for him didn't sneak up on you if you were keeping him so that you could have an all-star when the game was in charlotte then you damn well knew that there was going to be a max contract market for him in free agency which only should have hastened your attempts to then maybe move him and get value and I just, I don't understand. And this isn't a new front office regime anymore. They knew this. They could have known this at last year's deadline too, couldn't they? Rich Cho and uh, crew, they were out by then. Yeah, no, they're, they were, they just screwed it up. I mean, there was always rumors before LeBron went to LA that the Cavs were, were trying to get Kemba Walker and, and trading that eighth pick. Uh, and they were just waiting to see if they get a commitment from LeBron that he would stay if they brought Kemba Walker. I don't know how real that was. I don't know how real that was on Charlotte's end. But just the whole thing is just they've they've screwed this whole thing up royally. The, you nailed everything right. And you know what? They You can make the argument, well, they're competing for a playoff spot. I mean, yeah, you're competing for the eighth seed to get knocked out by the Bucks. Like it's not – it wasn't like that huge of a difference. And now, okay, so competing for that eighth seed – has now set your organization back at least three or four years because now even if you tank, the lottery odds are different. So it's not like you get rewarded for being the worst team. It just it, it they really just kind of miscalculated everything. And you know what? The front office it's still you know kind of like a, a year in. They should have done better, but you know Mitch Kupchak has proven that he's kind of stuck in his old ways. And on top of all this, it starts up top. It starts with ownership. And it starts with MJ. I'm sorry. Like, you know what? Great player. Not ne- not a great owner. And he's up there as a real bad owner. We just don't notice because it's a small market team in Charlotte. And it's not the Knicks. It's not a team like Phoenix and things like that. But he's up there as a very bad owner. And we you can't really reconcile that. I mean, the pure fact of, like, he should have walked in and said, I'm not paying him the max. Do what you have to do. And I wouldn't be mad if you were like, I don't think he's a max player. I'm not angry if you if you thought that, but get something for him. And Terry Rozier is not getting something for him. That's settling. That's not actually making something happen. You know, and Terry Rozier might have a good year. I don't see it. I think he was a bit overrated. I think he had a great 
run in Boston for one season. And we've seen it before with many guys on, Bo- in, on Boston. When they leave, those guys tend to kind of fall off a bit. And I think this is something we might see with Rozier. And they overpaid for Rozier. So it's just all of that stuff. Just none of it makes sense to me. And it's it's I don't know what the organization does. I mean, they're going to be a doormat now for the next couple of years. They're in a really tough spot. And I, I did misspeak. Mitch Kupchak was hired in April 2018, so he wasn't there for the trade deadline. That at, There were rumors that Kemba was on the market, but then Jordan came out and said, we're not trading him unless we get an all-star player. So whatever, we can call the 2008 trade deadline a wash. That's my mistake. But this year's deadline, absolutely. I think what makes it look even worse, too, and by the way, I really like P.J. Washington. Feels like he could be the rare, like, combo wing big where maybe you see him play the three but you could stretch him into a five in certain minutes but that's you know that's not going to save your off season when you it almost would have been better if they got nothing for Kemba Walker in the sense that I think if you're going to give Terry Rozier three years and 60 million dollars why wouldn't you rather have Kemba at five and 190 I would and it's really so three years 56.7 guaranteed for for Terry Rozier I still, I want the Kemba deal instead. And, and the thing that, sorry to cut you off, the thing that's kind of crazy about all that is there would still be a trade market for Kemba Walker. Right, that deal, I think a full-blown max, that's not an immovable deal. Just because this isn't, I, I know the sort of the knocks against undersized point guards as they're getting older, but this isn't, it's not a Blake Griffin situation because although Griffin was really great at creating his own shot from face-up positions with Detroit last year. Like, Kemba, you want, like, these shot creators in the backcourt, guys who can hit looks like him. And I think that deal would have been eminently movable for at least the first two to three years. Yeah, and he's only 29. It's not like he's 33 or 34. Like, it's just – it. It's not. It's getting Chris Paul before he's turning into a super old guy. Not saying Kemba Walker is Chris Paul, but just saying like you're getting a kind of a high level talented small guard that can hit shots, that can make plays. I mean, even if God, just so short sighted in that sense. And you know what? You probably even get more for him at five years, one ninety, than you do if you tried to trade him at the deadline when it was when there's a risk of him being a rental. So almost a smart move would have been to sign him at at the max. And play it out for a few months and see if he's available and see what you can get for him at the next trade deadline when he's locked up. But they don't think that way. And the other thing about Jordan that drives me nuts, it's this whole North Carolina alumni thing. I mean, Mitch Kupchak is another Carolina alumni guy, Tar Heel Nation and all this stuff. This does not work. It's just as bad as nepotism. You know, this stuff just doesn't work out. It's never smart. It's never... Listen, I don't know how many people are familiar with the University of Southern California. I'm an SC guy. I went to school there. And our biggest problem at SC, and it happens all the time with our alumni when we're looking for a new coach, well, he has no SC ties. I'm like, guys, we suck. I don't want anybody with SC ties right now. I want a guy that's going to help us win. Everybody except Urban Meyer, but that's a whole different podcast. The whole thing is, though, you can't do that. It's just not smart. Go get guys, you know. You know, if you're going to be this bad, Screw it. Go see if you can get Sam Hinkie. Like, just uh, get or the— don't give get, Terry Rozier way too much money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just it was just every decision they made was bad, and it wasn't like, oh, I can see why you did that. It was just more kept going like, huh? What? Are you, what? 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 What are you doing? Like, oh, what? Why? It's just all bad, and I don't—I feel bad dumping on them because I'm going to be honest— 
I'm a big James Borrego fan. He helped my career immensely, got me to San Antonio. It, it, it just hurts me that it's like this is the team he's going to have to coach, and people are going to say, oh, he's a bad coach. They need to move on from him. That's not going to be the case. It's a bad freaking team, and it's because the front office has done a terrible job because their owner sucks. There ends my rant. I'll say this about James Borrego, though. If Miles Bridges can do more than like on offense than dribble in a straight line and those power do those power dunks, but the way he was kind of shooting towards the end of last year, he's going to be a special player. That'll be good for Borrego. The 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 last thing on this team too is there might maybe since no one technically knows except for the people in the room or with the Hornets what actually went on behind the scenes. If Kemba wasn't willing to come back for just the regular max and wanted a little bit more, I know he said that he uh, wanted didn't need the suit that he would take less than the supermax to stay. That doesn't change my interpretation of the offseason at all because again, that situation, his supermax eligibility does not sneak up on you. This you knew this was he's made an all NBA team before, has he not? That wasn't his first one. And so it, you knew this was a possibility for at least the last 2 years just looking at the way he's played, the cachet he's kind of engendered among the the league's elite guards. So if he wanted more money, let's say five and two hundred, you needed to be prepared to pay that if you if you were going to keep him past last year's trade deadline. And so that's just the the entire the the entire thing for me. Oh, and that was his first All NBA team. It's, yeah, I was about to, I was gonna it's gonna be my opportunity to correct you. You blew it for me. That's two Damn mistakes it. in one segment, but I caught them myself, so it's okay. It was just it just seems like as you said a very short sighted off season, and I don't see a viable path to them proving anyone wrong you know terry rozier you mentioned it during that stretch with the celtics not last year but the year before where he was good he wasn't really good he still shot under 40 percent from the floor he shot 37 percent from three after Kyrie irving's injury that year but in the playoffs the celtics turned to jalen brown and jason tatum more than they did him i just that was a, a very questionable gamble and to your unc alumni point why didn't they give get Vince Carter in there then? That would have been a good locker room guy for that team. Yeah, but I, I'm glad they didn't because Vince doesn't deserve that. That's just not going to be a fun team next year. At least Atlanta's going to be fun whether they Free win games. Free Marvin Williams is all I have to say. Yeah, it's just, it's just the whole thing's just bad in general. Like, I'm not in favor of contraction, but if you did, I mean, they got <laughs> I mean, it's just like because they're, they're just not doing anything. You know, it's they had a playoff run, you know, a couple of years ago, and we had that Ninja Turtle guy uh, uh, talking trash to Dwayne Wade and things like that. But besides that, they just haven't done anything. And it's a real shame just because I, I think there was a lot of excitement when Jordan took over, and he's not delivering at all. And it's just it's just a bad look overall. I think – and as you said, even if they if wanted more than the regular max, listen, five years, $210 million, you could still move Kemba Walker for that. You know, teams are going to say like, well, he's locked up. He's going to be locked up through his prime. We're willing to give up assets for him. It just n- not at all thinking outside the box or creatively at all as an organization. And I think you, it's not forgivable. I feel like the fans deserve better. And, you know, they're, they're the ones that ultimately get screwed in this. And that's why, you know, if I can find a grade lower than an F, they would get it. That. Seems like it's going to be the hardwood Knox cut of the episode. I can feel it already. Already wrote down the timestamp of, <laughs> of that one. Uh, that brings us to the Southeast Division champions. The title that does not matter. The Orlando Magic, 42-40 and 40 
last year. Their notable additions include Alfaruk Aminu, uh, Chuma Okeke, Josh Maggetti. Notable exits include <laughs> Timothy Mozgov. I know you're going to laugh at that one. Notable re-signings, <laughs> Kem Birch, who I really like, Michael Carter-Williams, Nikola Vucevic, and Terrence Ross. I gave them a C. What did you give them? No, I gave him a B. I, I gave him credit for holding on to Vucevic. I can never say his name right. I go by the phonetic pronunciation on basketball reference, which is Vucevic, but when you watch games on League Pass, it just it changes all the time. What I really should do is dedicate myself to watching the Orlando Magic broadcast more. Yes, but I think... But ultimately, I gave him a B for holding on him because there was a lot of talk that he was going to leave. A lot of teams supposedly had interest, so it was good for them to kind of bring him back. I like them bringing in Aminu. I think that was a good fit for them. I think that that helps them. And we'll see the development of these young guys. We'll see what Jonathan Isaacs looks like. We'll see what Mo Bamba looks like. A lot unfairly rest on those shoulders right now for those guys but overall i thought you know keeping your playoff team together i know they just barely got in but i think it's a good thing and i i besides stuttering about it i I still am positive for them i i enjoy the outlook and they're they're in a good situation again trending at least slightly up and not not losing a step in a weaker eastern conference i'd be shocked if they didn't make the playoffs again I'm not so sure. I dinged them, and I might have been able to talk myself into going even lower. Uh, Okeke's ACL injury did not factor into my grade for them. A lot of, there, there seems to be uncertainty whether or not he's going to play next season. I think he's a sort of a nice deviation from the wings that they normally take because he has a jump shot, shot 39.1% um, on 4.7 attempts from three per 40 minutes as a freshman at Auburn and then increased his volume as a sophomore without really sacrificing his efficiency, 38.7% from three. Alfaro Camino is just such a typical magic move for this just regime, a long wing with a questionable jumper. I I think I like his addition overall, and he is shooting 35.3% from deep over the past four seasons, but defenses don't give a a a damn about him in the playoffs. And while his efficiency has typically improved in the postseason, it cratered last year to the point where he was – unplayable for the Blazers by the end of the the Western Conference Finals. And so to invest three years and you're mid-level in him, I I know you kind of have to pay this like Orlando tax in in the sense that they're not a free agent destination. I'm just with Jonathan Isaac there, um, Aaron Gordon, what do you hope? When do you hope that Okeke's going to play? It felt like a little bit of an overlap. The bigger problem for me, I don't have an issue with the uh, Vooch deal. Don't really have an issue with Terrence Ross. Uh, four years, $54 million. Maybe they gave those guys a little bit too much money, but Terrence Ross, the market pays shooters, and so I think that money uh, would have certainly been, at least comparable money, would have been available to him, and only $50 million of it is guaranteed, and they're both on declining scales, basically. I think Vooch's is all on a declining scale, and then Terrence Ross's deal starts dipping in dollar amount after 20, 2021, which helps. However, explanation point. If you don't know when Markel Fultz is going to come back, I'm going to need you to add some more playmaking over the offseason. Michael Carter-Williams don't count, even though he played well for them, especially on defense last year. I just don't. This team needed another playmaker. We saw the limitations it has in the postseason when it went up against Toronto. 
Vooch carries their offense. I know DJ Augustine was really good last year, but the Magic were terrible uh, during the time that he spent on the floor without Vooch. And so to rely on Vooch that heavily still is a red flag. This all sort of falls by the wayside, which is why I didn't give them a lower grade. If Markel Fultz pans out, he is probably the biggest swing piece in the NBA right now, or at least close to it. Maybe you want to make a case for DeJounte Murray or there are other options as well. If he's not ready or if he's not good, if he doesn't play for half the year, if he still can't shoot, if he's just not comfortable setting up others, I, I why wasn't that mid-level funneled towards another playmaker? And even if you couldn't have gotten that, why weren't you the team that took a flyer on Isaiah Thomas or something, or even went after Ish Smith? Just, just another layer of playmaking protection. I really don't understand why that wasn't added over the summer. No, I, I hear you with the playmaking stuff, but I also just look at it as despite being in Florida and that whole tax-free stuff and things like that, Orlando's not a destination. I can't understand. I don't see guys clamoring to go play in Orlando. They don't have a great setup. It's not like there's a guy they're dying to play with. Everybody's kind of slowly expecting Aaron Gordon at some point to be free of the magic. I just don't see it. So I'm not going to ding him too much for not getting that playmaking stuff. But I do want to touch on Fultz. I don't – listen, whatever he brings is good news if he brings something. Like, I just don't have any expectations of him. I There was a video recently of him shooting, and people were getting excited. But we were there last year. We saw this all over again. Last year, I was super excited about him with working with Drew Hanlon. And there was the whole IG stuff where it was everybody was getting excited and going nuts about it. And he gave us nothing when it came to being on the court. And so I, I look at these videos, and I kind of take them with a, a – not a grain, but like a massive bowl of salt just because I'm like, he's got to do it on the court in a game that matters for me to start believing. So, you know, I know you brought up Fultz and maybe they think they have something in Fultz and they might know more than we do, but I just, I'm not excited about it. Like I, I, I'm rooting for the kid. I honestly hope he can kind of regroup and get his career back on track, but I'm not expecting it. And you know, in terms of your response, in terms of the playmaking and things like that, and all the possible guys, like, yeah, maybe you could go get an Ish Smith and things like that. But they just might not be high on it. And, you know, they got to the playoffs, you know, with what they had already. And it's not like the rest of the East had taken a massive leap forward. I mean, a lot of teams kind of took a step back. So I think they're in a situation where it's like, I, I have them making the playoffs in my book. You know, I think they're going to be... They're not going to be high up. They're not not expecting them to make noise in the playoffs or anything like that. But I expect them to make the playoffs. I think what they got is probably just good enough for the East. And so I'm not going to ding them for that. And Mo Bamba is kind of like a free agency addition for them, too, if he ends up being healthy. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it really comes down to those young guys and, and their development. And if they can kind of – we'll see what Mo Bamba does and if he can provide some stuff and if they can take a leap forward and if, you know, Isaacs can really kind of take another step forward in his development, I think they'll be in pretty good shape. Someone needs to – it's going to have to be, I would think, Isaac. Maybe you could throw Wondu in there. They're going to need someone to just pick up – Aaron Gordon still is in that conversation to pick up some of the off-the-dribble slack. That's what they need, and I don't – unless again you can count on Fultz which I don't think I hope I hope it pans out for him this whole turn that his 
career has taken essentially before it ever started is sad, but you can't count on him. And so you need someone to kind of pick up that shot creation slack, that table setting slack. I don't know that that it's definitely not Aaron Gordon. We've seen enough from him. He had a pretty good year last year. Maybe it's Isaac. Maybe it's a one do. Maybe it's okay. Okay. Once he's healthy. I don't know. I still think, look, they went long, and, and they're built to defend once again. You just look at adding Aminu to the defense that was basically second in the league in points allowed per 100 possessions for more than half the year. That'll be their identity, and they, they have a clear identity, which I think matters. I just don't, Their ceiling still seems incredibly low to me. Yeah, I, but I never really kind of had it very high to begin with. I, right, I never want to see teams improve, though, is my point. Yeah, but sometimes that's not an option in that year. You know, the it just wasn't there. I, the bigger thing for them was almost the status quo or staying solid was bigger. I mean, it would have been a huge step back for them had they lost Vujovic or uh, um, Terrence Ross and things like that. The fact they're able to keep those guys says a lot and, and continue to build. And another year together kind of helps them. And maybe they get a little bit better. Maybe they get those leaps from the young guys. Maybe Fultz shows up and it's like, oh, wow, this is actually a really good team. You know, it's, I'd rather them have the status quo than drop back. It does, so, it, it does seem to be just based on what they did or how they prioritize things this offseason that they are pretty heavily invested in Fultz. And I'm not sure how – maybe that maybe that statement sounds foolish but uh, in a few months, but right now it, it's just rickety at best. Yeah, it's scary. It's scary to put that faith in that. Like, it's just not an easy thing to feel comfortable with. You got under, even if you see, even if he is killing it in practice, I think the thing fans don't understand is the carryover from practice to games is huge. Practice is a controlled environment. You know, the coach can stop the scrimmage and whatever, point out stuff and things like that. In a game, it's go, go, go. And I think the carryover is is really challenging for a lot of guys. And that's why you hear stories of this guy was killing it in practice, but you know, he's a, he's a practice game guy. He's not a, when the lights come on guy and we'll see what's full. So it's a scary proposition to depend on him just because of what we've seen in the past from him. But I'm not going to ding him just for the pure fact of it's, this isn't like, like I ding the wolves, right? Big time for staying basically status quo but the thing was, the entire West had taken a leap forward. For Orlando, staying kind of just where they're at and the status quo and keeping everybody together is okay because the East hasn't leapt ahead of them. Nobody's really kind of – nobody below them has made a massive improvement where you're you're afraid of them. Here's the question I'll ask for this division and, and is didn't ask for the other ones because that's more of an over-under pod situation that we'll eventually do, I'm sure. Who, which team wins this division next year? Assuming nothing else – changes and I'm, I'm just basically nodding to the potential of maybe Bradley Beal uh, hits the chopping block yeah I'm gonna go either Orlando or Miami one of those two it's gonna be a team in in Florida that's some nice hedging there I think I'm inclined to go with the magic still I don't You're know you not gonna go with Charlotte well they'll be right there but they're probably gonna win less than 55 games so where the Magic and the Heat are clearly going to be up in that 56 to 60 territory. This division is <laughs> going to be tough. This is this is a really bad division. That's as good a spot as any to end it 
this was a podcast that hopefully you cannot tell through through the editing, but it took four or five takes for us to get through it. Shout out to the electric company on Long Island, New York. I forget what it's called now. It's not LIPA anymore. Anyway. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why they cut off the power. You don't know their name. Uh, maybe they cut it off because your takes are so unbelievably terrible. No, no, they're hot fire. I'm like Dylon. I spit hot fire. Oh, boy. Until next time, <laughs> I leave you with a shout-out to Kyle Anderson. Mo leaves you with a shout-out to Jalen Brunson, who's playing in the blue and white Team USA scrimmage tomorrow. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.